0: Talk us through those eighty minutes.
1: no we prepared to win. We knew that we were here to make history. The whole week, that's what we told ourselves. And you know what? I'm so proud of the boys. Absolutely humbled. And the guys came out. They played with enormous testicles. And we absolutely did it. Fantastic effort. I'm such a happy, captain. Welcome to another kick uh,
0: dropped kickoff podcast. Um, as always, I'm here with Nick W. Um, and this week, before the Wallabies play Argentina, we're joined by a special guest. His name is Paul Tate. Paul, how are you, mate? Great. Thank you so much for having me. No worries, mate. My pleasure. Um, so, but before we begin, um, many people might not know who you are, Paul. Um, just explain to the, you know, the crowd, the great unwatched, who you are and what you do. Absolutely.
2: Based, I'm based in Brazil. And I run a website, America's Rugby News, together with a Canadian and an American, Brian and Ted. And uh, so we cover America's from north to south, everything going on, uh, amateur and professional, international, all of it. Uh, my, we've got our own Twitter, which is at Americas Rugby and My personal one is at Argentina 2027. It's Argentina underline, underscore 2027. Uh, And uh, that was a personal Twitter feed based on a former blog that I had, which was a uh, campaign for Argentina to host the World Cup. Um, Still going on, by the way, if anyone's interested, Australia want to host um, in 2027. (laughs) So do Argentina. So that's going to be a battle in itself. Uh, but Argentina have already had uh, meetings with World Rugby. The uh, president, Mark, has actually met with them, so it's pretty advanced. Uh, but yeah, I'm busy as hell with uh, all of the America stuff.
0: Oh, great, mate. Uh, we'll talk. We'll try. we we'll talk about this World Cup 27. We have time during this podcast. But first, but first, yeah. Wallabies are playing Argentina at um, the Gold Coast this weekend. First of all, we want to know. How's Argentina going? Um, I didn't get to hear, see the game against New Zealand, but I saw that one try, um, and I've seen a few highlights. But, Paul, how are they going? How's Argentina going?
2: Yeah, okay, the backs are doing very well. Uh, the back row as well. Uh, the front five, a bit of a bit of hit and miss, I would suggest. Against South Africa, they did really well in the, the Mendoza test, the home match, which they won. Uh, they had Juan Figacho from uh, Saracens in England playing, and he really, uh, really had a fantastic performance. The scrum was great. Then against New Zealand, he wasn't playing. Uh, the scrum was entirely outmatched. New Zealand were all over them. They got a little better in the second half, but realistically, they were, they were totally outplayed in that area. Uh, New Zealand, as we know, just you give them half a chance, they're going to score. It was uh, six tries to three performance, but from an Argentina s- uh, standpoint, that was m- the first time I've got three tries uh, against New Zealand in six years. Uh, so pretty good from that respect. They've also changed their coaches, as you know. My Udesma came in after the Super Rugby, and uh, he only really started in uh, mid-July, and so he had a month of preparation. The former coach had to go, and uh, a lot of us were just absolutely bewildered as to why he was able to stick around as long as he did, because the results <laughs> have been, you know, really poor. Uh, basically, mm-hmm. since the game against Ireland in the World Cup, they, they've got uh, one win over South Africa, which was uh, by, you know, narrow margin, could have easily lost that, and and That aside, it's it's been Japan, Georgia, Italy victories. That's it. So talking about a really struggling team, Uh, looking much better now in short time under Ledesma, Uh, and I mean it looks like we're going to have a pretty close match. Obviously, Ledesma knows the Wallabies inside and out, so uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how that unfolds.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, Over here, we're very excited about it, but. where do you think this game um, will be won and lost? Do you think, right, except from the, if you, you know, from what you've seen of the Wallabies and from what you know of Argentina?
2: Yeah, well, Australia usually all threaten in the, in the backs. That's obvious. Like, Foulal is one of the best full backs. Let's see if he's going to play or not, of course. But uh, Argentina have have had a huge problem over the years. In the in the opening ten minutes, the Wallabies have often scored even, two, even uh, two tries during this period. So the, the start's going to be crucial for, for Argentina. If they're going to compete in this match, they, they're going to have to hold, hold out uh, defensive-wise at the start. Otherwise, uh, the breakdown area, the way Ledesma's playing, I don't see as being such a threat in terms of Australia have, have traditionally with Pocock and, and Hooper. They've, they've been able to really, really turn over the ball pretty, pretty quickly, Pretty easily, but uh, the way Argentina are structured now, it seems to be harder. Like New Zealand and South Africa in the in their the last two matches weren't so uh, successful at getting turnover ball on Argentina compared to prior matches. So I, I think it's going to be way more to do with uh, how Australia attack through the backs than anything else. Um, I, I don't envision this being a high-scoring match. I would suggest. Uh, Something around, you know, uh, I don't expect the teams to get over 30 points. If, you know, hopefully they do, because that's better for us to watch. But uh, I would suggest either side can win. But Australia are going to go in as favorites, probably by margin of five.
1: Mm-hmm. Very tight. Um. Hi, uh, hi, Paul. Other Nick here. And I kind of actually want to lead on uh, from your point that you made about kind of how the Pumas have kind of gone we actually did a, a a main of ours at one of our um, other webs. Uh, one of our other writers uh, called Hugh Cavill. He actually did a, an interesting post about kind of the state of the rugby championship in general. And in, and in previous years, in previous seasons, it's kind of been surprising that you know Argentina would kind of have a, an interesting series against South Africa that you know usually would lose. Um, and then, but, but sometimes, occasionally pull a win, um, come and really put on a good performance against New Zealand. But you know, the score wouldn't reflect the score wouldn't reflect how close the game is. But then they'd come to Australia and kind of underperform. Do you yeah. think? Why do you think the why do you think that's been the case? Do you think it, it'll be a similar story this weekend, or do you think that having Ledesma as coach, who kind of has seen the Wallabies beforehand, will add a bit more X factor to uh, to the stakes in the game? Yeah,
2: I, I think that the player management for last week was a little uh, interesting. Matera didn't start, uh, neither Bertrano. They're both probably going to start uh, this weekend. They were actually uh, rotated, uh, which was interesting because the idea is, well, you've got to win all, you've got to play to win all your matches. So there's a li- little bit involved there of, of uh, keeping them fresh for, for the Gold Coast match. Um Argentina historically have, like you pointed out, done well against South Africa, which have always been around one and two matches. And then sometimes they've fallen away as the tournament's gone on. Basically, you're talking about a a country which uh, does not have uh, three players per position and in some cases doesn't have two players per position. And so you get one one or two injuries and, and they really have serious problems. Uh, but there have been some changes which, which have actually helped them in this regard like historically flanker back row, you, you've, there have been uh, massive matches where you've got uh, stars from the, the past like Juan Fernandez Lobby missing key matches uh, and no one to replace them, so Desmond actually changed it a little bit because he's got uh, Javier Tec- playing eight, who's a flanker and you've got Marcus Cremas the second row playing, uh, playing flanker, so they have, they have strengths in certain positions, and Ledesma's way of working around it is getting them to play in other positions. Of course, that's no no uh, secret in rugby. Everyone has always done that, having a, a fly half playing centre because th- he's better than the centre options, for instance. So mm-hmm. Argentina's player management is uh, what is ultimately uh, going to be the, the key to if they can go on and win a second match in this tournament. Uh, they're basically. Don't have a, they don't have a strong player pool. They're talking you're talking about uh, Jaguares, uh, and one or two coming from Europe. Now to be realistic, now in 2018, there are probably less than I would say three or four players only in Europe who you would legitimately classify as being uh, better than those uh, at Jaguares. Argentina getting from start to finish. This is their their own problem, and it's self-inflicted in that y- you don't have the players ready. Now, getting, uh, another win in this tournament, or even competing seriously for second position because of the way things stand, the South Africa, uh, Australia, and Argentina are, are similarly placed, but if Argentina are going to remain there and not uh, finish fourth, they're, they're going to need to have the players last, last the distance, and uh, We're going to see if they've actually got them or not.
0: This this, uh, squad discussion is very interesting. It's similar to what Australia is facing. Um, Like, you know, a lot of people question our depth at fly half. I'd just like to know, Paul, when you talk about you've got strengths, like you don't have at least two people in a position, positionally, where is Argentina strong and where are they lacking? Yeah.
2: Uh, The the lacking positions first. Um, Wing... Uh, definitely also fly half and prop they are the three areas uh, Pro. both Both. yes and this is because uh, Argentina okay against South Africa the win that they got in Mendoza you you had Figacho from Saracens playing tight head and therefore you had uh, now Tepa Chaparro playing loose head now he was tight head throughout Super Rugby he was the leading Jaguars tight head they moved him and it's not the first time it's happened either. But uh, it's, it's you're talking about uh, Ledesma's debut appearance. He takes his starting tight head from Super Rugby and puts the same guy playing loose head. Now, against New Zealand, we saw Tepa Chapado playing tight head. And uh, Santiago Garcia Bota was the loose head. Now, the scrum was demolished, as we've covered. And uh, why... Why was that the case? Well, yes, it's partly because Fugashio wasn't there, but that's obviously you can't put it down to one player only. But yeah, Jaguada's props are far below the depth required. Uh, like we said, two or three players per position. Any team needs to, to realistically compete over the course of a tournament like this. Argentina don't have them at prop. Fly half? Well, Nicolas Sanchez is the only specialist fly half on the roster, and that's mm. true of pool. Pumas and Jaguars. There's nobody else. Now, uh, Emiliano Boffelli has trained this year at Fly Half. Not played, but trained. Uh, wow, well, that's a matter of debate. <laughs> he, he was in the under-20s playing outside center um, and did really well. But because he's tall, some people say, oh no, he fullbacks he his position. But because Argentina have had and Jaguares have had Joaquin Tukalet doing so well at fullback uh, for a number of years. Well, you've got to play him somewhere else. So they put him on the wing and he did really well. So, the question you know, it's open to debate. My, my opinion is outside center would be where I would play him. Not yet. Yeah, so, Sanchez, the only player. Uh, you've got other options within the roster, but we're, again, it's the same case as Bofelli. You're going to play him at fly half? That's playing him out of position. Could work. Currently, Bale did okay the other, the other night to me. So, but I mean, that's a that's a that's a that's more of a I don't know, is it a case of Bernard Foley just just losing his position? I don't know. But uh, Argentina's best fly hops, yeah, they're in France. So uh Cap Costa won the top fourteen last season and the uh, Man match was from Argentina. So Benjamin the he's a fly hop from Argentina. And, why isn't he in there, Rasta? Well, yeah, a lot of people are not happy about that. And then Cuomo, who are leading the top 40 right now, their replacement fly halves from Argentina, Patricio Fernandez. So Sanchez is going to start from the state too, in fact, at the end of this year. So the, the, the point being, you're going to have the three top tens all playing in France. Jaguar is next year. Currently, we don't know who's going to be the 10. So it's a bit of a mess. But uh, looking at the uh, current needs for the tournament, if if Sanchez goes down, they're they're going to have to realistically call someone up from France. I don't see anyone within Argentina uh, being ready.
1: Kind of for just stepping away from the uh, from the Argentinian squad for a moment, Um, because and I just want to kind of talk about the actual rugby championship in general, because there's kind of been a lot of talk, particularly here in Australia, about the actual layout of the competition itself. I mean, this is the seventh year that Argentina have been in the competition and they've actually, you know, they've done, you know, they've, you can see that they've improved quite a lot overall in general, uh, over the course of the seven years they've been in this competition and actually had the chance to play against a regular opposition and no further example do you need than the fact that all four, mem- all four nations were in the semi-finals of the rugby world of the last rugby world cup. Um, but in terms of results, I think there's only been, you know, Argentina, you know, they've always been competitive, but they've only had like about three or four wins. Um, what's the actual kind of public view regarding the rugby championship in Argentina? Because here in Australia, there's kind of a view that it's getting a bit stale. It's always, we're always playing against the All Blacks starting off, which is, uh, which, and we always lose those games. And, uh, it kind of takes the wind out of the sails for, uh, for, for for a lot of Wallabies fans, which means that by the time um, South Africa and Argentina come around, the interest in the actual competition has waned quite a bit. How does that compare in Argentina?
2: Yeah, it's interesting what you say. Uh, first of all, I am very much against this repetition of every year, let's open the rugby championship in Sydney. I don't like that. I think the Six Nations model in which, you know, the the fixtures always alter. I understand why they have it the way they have it. It's it's regarded as being the best possible date, marketing terms, to uh, have the the Wallabies-All Blacks match. They're always going to play it in in the same venue. That's not a problem. But having it as the opening uh, round clash is is something which I'm not, uh, not in favor of at all. I would like to see it always change. Argentina have always played against South Africa first in South Africa. You know, the same thing. Can we not change this? Come on! Why don't Why don't we have Wallabies versus Springboks first, then Wallabies versus Pumas second? That's realistically Australia's best possible opportunity of having uh, two wins from the opening two rounds. Instead, they're going to play in Sydney and then Auckland, or Sydney and then Wellington. You know, it, it's tough from, from to, to recover from that. Uh, I understand why it's the case. Like I say, I mean, we just had the, the match in Brisbane. And then we had uh, the regular league there the next day and they had a larger turnout. I get that. That was because you talking about a club playoff match and, and the rest of it. But let's imagine that, that that fixture was in the first round instead. Realistically, would the turnout have been better? Well, we can only speculate, but, but uh, I would suggest there's a much, uh, much uh, very good chance of it being, being bigger than it was based on that. Now in Argentina, how is it uh, perceived? Well, uh, very well, uh, the rugby championships very well, and this is about uh, a team we're talking about who's been in crisis this year already. Uh, if you got to see Wales and Scotland's tour matches in June against Argentina, you would have been really shocked at how poor mm-hmm. Argentina yeah. were. Yeah. And Yeah, and but the same players, are the, the Jaguars, they're the same guys now on the team. So Ludesma really did extremely well to turn things around. Uh, unfortunately, Daniel Horcad will just have to go down in history as having that horrible tour to end his career. But you're talking about all these matches which Argentina play, they're always in different places. Until uh, 2005, Buenos Aires tended to host everything, with some games now and then elsewhere. Since then, have always been moved, and the, the turnouts have been strong. So Argentina are getting uh, full houses or, let's say, 80% attendances wherever they play. Uh, so Mendoza was a strong crowd. Buenos Aires will get the All Blacks match. That's sold out already. Uh, in June, they played in Resistencia against Scotland, did well for that. Played against uh, Wales in Santa Fe and San Juan, both full again. So Reiki's really, really, really doing well in the country. Of course, soccer is always uh, has, and will be superior in terms of uh, the importance for the country. But Argentina has this unique culture in that when the formers are winning, the people really get behind them. And so every time you have a, one of these World Cups where Argentina gets two, two pool get, uh, wins one after the next, then the next game is going to be a playoff quarterfinal, for example, the country really gets behind them. Uh, everybody likes winners. Nobody really wants to support uh, losing teams, do they? And uh, <laughs> so, so Argentina, you have to factor this in. They're getting the attendances, and this is, this is with a team winning uh, between 20 and 30% of their matches. So let's imagine Argentina is able to get the, the, the strong roster that legitimately have two world-class starting players per position, and you're going to be talking about an entirely different situation. Uh, like you mentioned, people in Australia are saying rugby championships even stale. From an Argentine perspective, it's not, but Argentina has been there for very long and uh, re- realistically, if you're in a competition and <clears throat> the people are not turning up and the All Blacks are way better than everybody else, then, yeah, you got a problem you've got to, got to address. There are a number, number of solutions to go about it. Um, some people would like to see just one game per country. Others have even said, bring in Japan, you know. So I don't know. I don't have the answer myself. Uh, but from an Argentine perspective, the, the tournament is absolutely great for them. Uh, the people are behind it. They're getting widespread uh, media coverage in uh, social media and print, uh, websites, and so forth. People talk about it a lot. Uh, It's legitimately a growing sport. You've got more kids playing now than previous years. So success builds success, and and, uh, Argentina are definitely a a team who are going to again be competing for semifinal spots at the World Cup.
1: How has Mario Ledesma kind of influenced the uh, the Argentine squad? And- yes.
2: No, uh, well, the players themselves, <clears throat> young and old, have pointed out something re- uh, repeatedly, which is Ledesma brought with him professionalism. And, okay, let's analyze this quickly. So <clears throat> the former Jaguares coach was a former player himself, uh, Raul Pérez. Orcadi was not a Puma, but he, he was uh, involved in the Portugal uh, World Cup 2007 coaching side, and he, he has a lot of experience uh, coaching other teams. He coached <clears throat> a France third-division side, not a top-14 team, but a third-division side. So Ledesma, okay, where did he come from? Number one, Wallabies and Waratahs, and before that also coached in France, top-14 level. So that's an entirely different scenario to uh, Perez, who didn't have anything like that, and Orcadi, who had lower division and tier three international experience. So the professional change is something that the, the players have really noted and have said that, that it's an fin- entirely different uh, feeling and entirely different preparation process, what they're going through. It's, you, know, you, you can't really argue with that uh, because of the, we're talking about a guy who played for years and years and years four World Cups, uh, played in Clermont, played in Castro, played in Navor. Uh couldn't play in Argentina because they were only amateur, so now he's back, back in Argentina from uh, France and Australia, you're talking about a guy who really knows his stuff, he wants what he has seen in these countries to happen in his own, so yeah, he really knows what he's doing, there's no question about that. Uh, I mean, Argentina have had this entire structural change as well, uh, <clears throat> in that the, the new Jaguares coach is going to be uh, Gonzalo Quesada for next year. So he played in World Cup 99, 2003 World Cup also. Lots of experience playing in France too. He coached Stade Francais to the top ranking title in, in 2015. He's also coached Racing 92. Uh, yeah, these are entirely different experiences uh, than the Argentine uh, coaches from the uh, 2016 to 2018 era, let's call it. Because, uh, yeah, the only commonality really is that they're all from Argentina, but look at the difference. You're talking about guys with years and years of experience playing and coaching in the in uh, the big leagues abroad. And Quesada last week confirmed that uh, he he's bringing home a, a new coach from France. I mean, Andreas Borde has been playing in France and coaching in France for uh, – he's been at Pau in uh, the top 14 for the past eight years. And uh, he really knows his – he was a prop, only played two tests for Argentina, but he really, really knows the structures. He knows what's involved. He's not just any guy who has, you know, some experience coaching amateur. No, he's coached professionally. So this is fundamental change. And uh, it's realistically, how can you expect uh, to achieve the best possible results if you don't make these these investments? You've got to get the right people in the right jobs. Now Argentina have, have it now.
0: If Sanzar was to break apart, um, like in Australia, there's a lot of talk about, you know, going with New Zealand and maybe having Japan in some sort of future. And obviously... Um, there's I know I don't know how much you know about it, but uh, Twiggy, uh, Twiggy Forest mm-hmm. over here billionaire set up his own rugby comp after the Western Force got booted, um, has just yeah. employed Argent, uh, world rugby and Argentine Ar- Augustin Pichot as his mining mm-hmm. spokesman or something for the South America. So where do you think if it broke apart, where would Argentina go? Would they attach themselves to South Af- uh, South Africa? You think? Yeah,
2: well, Argentina, are, you know, presently, uh, let's let's say since probably three or four years ago, they they've been actively covering these possibilities. Um, I mean, you've got the Americas Rugby Championship. It's not Los Pumas; it's the Argentina 15, which you're talking about, basically academy side. It's it's their a, their A side, but no, it's not their A side because it's not their next of 15. It's uh, a lot of younger players, a lot of players who are. Uh, potential options for Jaguares potential being the key word. Now, uh, so they played every year against the United States, Canada, Uruguay, Brazil, and Chile, and it's done really well. And now they've got a second division for the competition, which started this year. And again, it did really well. I mean, uh, Paraguay were expected to win that. They didn't. Colombia won it. So uh, South America is in probably at an all-time uh, greatest Position in terms of uh, prospects looking forward to the future. Argentina has the option, number one, of uh, working together with Canada and the United States to have some kind of long-term working relationship involving international rugby and professional rugby because the the Liga Americana de Rugby, which is going to be the South American Professional League starting uh, in 2020, they're already discussing having that working with Major League Rugby in the United States. So let's make a version of Europe's uh, Champions Cup for the Americas. That's already, you know, being negotiated. Canada's going to be joining Major League Rugby soon. Thank God the Canadians have have been going nowhere for too long. The United States are much better than them now. That's no secret. So Canada needs to catch up. This This is their way of doing so. And Argentina has an attitude which is very different than, let's say, New Zealand, because New Zealand, as we know, have been criticised again and again for a lack of test matches in Fiji and Samoa, for example. But Argentina don't think that way. They they have the attitude which is, and Pichot himself has said this. He said a strong Uruguay is good for us. And they want to have more teams to compete against, because as I mean, Argentina, you're talking about. a a 10 hour or more flight to play anybody because Terra One rugby in South America. Argentina is obviously on its own. South Africa is the closest or Europe or, you know, it's far, these are big distances. So in the long term, having a development path in which you could have uh, Uruguay and Argentina with a match being let's say comparable to Australia against the strongest Fiji side, because Australia are able to host Fiji, and they do every, you know, three or so years. Uh, Australia win by 40 or 50 points, but that's a lot better than than winning by 80 points, you know. And uh, and so Argentina has this option in terms of Australia joining uh, New Zealand in, let's say, a new version of the uh, New Zealand NPC competition, like the Mitre 10 Cup, or <clears throat> replacing Super Rugby with that. I don't think that's you know, necessarily what they should be looking to do. But yeah, getting Japan involved, getting others involved uh, would certainly be highly beneficial. I think that they need to find a way of embracing the <laughs> local area. So can we get the Pacific Islands involved? How, how can that happen? They need to work on the, the friendly time zones. Uh, it, South Africa is a different market in that South Africans yeah. Are, they, they, for years and years and years, that being watching matches uh, afternoon one week, then the morning the next week, then the middle of the night, it's not something which seems to work so, so well for other markets, but they really have a great understanding and, and it works for them. And like I said, that their economic uh, deal that they have is, is so so powerful. Like Supersport pays so much to have rugby. And, and their viewing numbers are huge.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's what's what's been holding up um, uh, super. And especially, I think Australian rugby owes a lot to South American uh, uh, pay TV money. But uh, just one quick question. Um, Last World Cup, Australia played uh, Uruguay. Um, Just quickly, how's rugby going in Uruguay? So if people don't know, I think Uruguay's got about 5 million people and is across the river from Buenos Aires. Um, whereas Argentina is much much larger, um, but yeah. So how's rugby in Uruguay going?
2: Uruguay uh, has now professional players. Okay. So what are they? What is that compared to in the past? Well, Uruguay uh, used to have one or two professional players, and often you were talking about guys playing second division professional rugby, and you had to then get Uruguay's best <coughs> club players from uh, Uruguayan clubs playing. To complete the side, and so the result was they weren't so good. Now, now they've got 15 contracted players who are high performance. That's what they do every day. They're training, and uh, so they've got they got. You're gonna be you're talking about the last World Cup. Uruguay had this a uh, high performance model two months before the competition. Okay, so they qualified this you know uh, less than a year before the tournament, and then only then only two months before it did they really start getting the players ready not enough so there's no surprise to see wales or australia not notching up big wins but having said that uruguay actually did far far better than most people appreciate because if you go back to the uh, their previous world cup which was 2003 uruguay were hammered 111 to 13 by england they played england again in manchester at this last world cup and uh, they lost by 41 fewer points, so that's phenomenal progress. Even if they're not making, you know, so so dangerous with ball in hand as you would want, that they're able to defend far better. So that's notable progress. So yeah, they got 15 professional uh, players based at home for now. This number is going to grow, and these these are uh, URU contracted players. Did nothing to do with the, uh, the the new professional teams which you're going to have in 2020. Realistically. The lesson which I learned myself from Rugby World Cup 2007, when Argentina got the, the quarter finals and uh, so did Fiji, and then Argentina, of course, got third, was that professionalism is the difference maker. You don't necessarily need to have your own professional league, but you've got to have your own. Your players have got to be playing week in, week out. They've got to have these uh, high-performance environments. And Georgia, another example, Georgia's progress and Fiji's uh, result from that World Cup I met. They are entirely related to France, entirely related to the number of players in that environment. And uh, so Uruguay now, they have their own uh, high-performance model, and that is specifically why they were able to defeat Namibia in Canada. And so we're we're looking now a year to go into the World Cup. They are phenomenally positioned in comparison to the previous World Cup because of this.
1: Mm, yeah, and I, I just want to point out that because here in Australia, we always are hearing about how how much the game is struggling. It's actually kind of genuinely refreshing to hear from a part of the world that the game is thriving, just for me, just mm. for me personally. Um, and for all the, all the folks who listen in to this podcast generally at Green and Gold Rugby, um, we often always talk about how the state of the game is in, in Australia. and It's kind of nice to hear how refreshing it is. Um, I could... I could pick your brain about this all um, all day, um, but just kind of as a last major point, um, just going back to the rugby championship this year. You already mentioned that the uh, your thoughts on predictions on uh, on how on um, how the Pumas will go this weekend uh, against the Wallabies. What are your predictions uh, for the end result of the rugby championship? What do you think? Uh, who do you think will end up where? Uh, New Zealand first. <laughs> I mean, apart uh, from that, apart from that. Yeah. <laughs> I think
2: I I don't know, and and I'm so great I'm so happy to say that I don't know. Um, I think there are are a variety of possibilities. Realistically, Argentina should finish fourth because they don't have the the depth that Australia or South Africa have. Um, That's the theoretic result. However, Argentina are are playing far better uh, than in last year's competition. So they certainly have the means of finishing uh, one place higher. Now, they've only ever won one match in a tournament. They've never won two. So now they've got Wallabies on the Gold Coast. Then they've got Wallabies in Salta and New Zealand and Buenos Aires as as their remaining matches. If they win one of those, uh, they should avoid the bottom spot. I think it's going to be really hard for uh, uh, Australia to win in South Africa. Um, So if Argentina win this weekend... Australia will be will be in really big trouble to avoid the bottom spot. That's what I think. The lack of situation there. But I mean, I, I, like I say, Argentina are, are not favourites to win on the Gold Coast. That's going to be a Wallabies win, I would suspect. Uh, but it's so exciting to be talking about this in a situation of your are multiple possibilities because, and, and usually it, it's been okay. New Zealand are favourites. Can South Africa catch them? It's not like that this year. Now it's it's kind of like, who's yeah. going to be second, who's third, who's fourth? Anything mm. could happen. That's fantastic.
0: So, uh, would you say you're confident that Argentina could beat Australia and Salta?
2: Yes. Uh, not confident. I would probably, I would, let's see who the players are first, but I'd probably right. theoretically say Argentina were favorites, let's say 55, 45, something like that. Um, they're going to play the All Blacks before that, and uh <laughs> I mean they they're they're gonna play their strongest side uh, probably for that match and uh, I mean let can they win it? Let's see. I mean hopefully. So it's gonna be a yeah, hopefully yeah. I mean I mean that's what the rugby championship realistically needs. And I, I think it's time for for people to to to, to, to you know hopefully have the, the mindset that the win is coming and uh mm, yeah. That's what we that's what we need because the stale competition is not felt that way in, in South America but <clears throat> If it is found that way in somewhere else, then we'll get a problem. That's that's trying trying to, you know, find a way of fixing that. Um, if I look I mean, I watched New Zealand's performance and uh, realistically, this is against Argentina last weekend, realistically they, they had a number of players who were replacements for their regulars. They weren't they weren't the same quality. Now people say, Oh, New Zealand have this player factory. There's no doubt they have the best players in the world, but realistically I, I noticed a number of players who uh, we're far from being the same uh, level of, of the regulars. And so let's let's imagine uh, New Zealand don't play their full starting regular team in Buenos Aires and Argentina play the best performance possible. Can they win in that situation? Yeah, they can. But it, it would be a huge upset. But uh, we, we can uh, tune in and hope for that, can't we?
1: Indeed, it's not a bad thing to dare to dream. I reckon. They've, I think the 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 fact that the Pumas have, start, have you know have defeated the Springboks more and more, and that you know they've knocked over the Wallabies a couple of times as well, show that they've got the potential to do it. Absolutely. Uh, we could I could talk to you all. We could talk to you all day about uh, how exciting the growth is in uh, in America's rugby. But um, I know that you've got uh, people to see and places to go. I just want to say, Paul, thank you so much for coming on uh, on the Drop Kickoff podcast. It's been absolutely fantastic having you.
2: No, well, it's my pleasure. Hopefully, uh,
1: everyone enjoys the matches this weekend. Indeed, absolutely. I think it's going to be a fantastic match down on the Gold Coast. So, for all of our listeners, um, so Paul uh, is part of the America Rugby News Guys. You can follow them on Twitter at Americas Rugby, Or you can also follow Paul uh, himself uh, on his personal one at uh, Argentina underscore 2027. wonder, imagine, imagine what that would look like if Argentina actually got that World Cup.
2: Yes, well... Thankfully, that we're getting to see spread of matches and good attendances, so it's another dream that we have.
1: Mm, it's, all, it's so nice to hear about all the dreaming. Um, thank you very much, uh, Paul, for coming on the podcast. Thanks very much, uh, Nick, other Nick, for uh, for once again being by my side and uh, doing all the uh, um, doing all these podcasts with me. And uh, to all our listeners, thank you for listening to another episode of the Dropped Kickoff, and we'll catch you the next time around. Damn! Damn!
0: Like yes. <sighs> I'm not gonna make it. Oh stop talking crazy. No,
1: no, no, no. Just do one thing for me. Get middozer.